uh, Dennis and I had the blessing to go to Mexico this last week for eight nights, and we came home Friday, and um, it was early morning. My alarm was set for 6 a.m., and it was completely dark, and I thought, I think I hear raining, and I looked out the window, and it wasn't raining. It was pouring like no other, and so the the buffet was going to open at 7, and so we got ready to go out at 7 after packing. And uh, it was kind of unusual because our hotel, they were in little complexes like the shape of an octagon, two stories, and you would have stairs that would go up. So we were on the second floor. We, walk, we opened our door, and it was completely black. It was like, this is really odd. We walked down the stairs. This is how much it had rained. We walked down the stairs, and we were in the flood zone. Our feet are soaking. We get up on higher ground. We walk into the um, buffet area, and these we were the first person people there for breakfast, and these lovely uh, Mexican people were there to greet us. And so there was a covered park part, and then there was an uncovered part. And actually, the uncovered part had some barrier, but there's a lovely woman out there sweeping. There was that much rain. It was just everywhere. So we finish up the details at the hotel. We get in the taxi, and we had to go to the Cancun area. So it was about an hour drive. And by the time we get to the airport, now I got to tell you, flying is not on my top 10 list of things I love. And um, we get to the airport, and you can see out the windows. It's just, it's these huge clouds that are black and they're full of rain and they and so we're at our gate and they mentioned you may not be able to take off because of the thundering and it's just like oh I don't like to fly in this and so we get on the plane and we're on we're in the very last row and Dennis is next to the window I'm in the middle and there's a gentleman to my right and we um, get ready to take off and it, the takeoff in itself was a little bit scary because the plane kind of does this and does this. And it's like, ah. And my husband is asleep. <laughs> I'm like, what is with this guy? And he can sleep through this. And then we, we go up and we're in the clouds. And I mean, this plane bolted. And I grab his leg. He's not asleep anymore. <laughs> and it was... To me, it was so alarming. I almost grabbed the stranger's leg. And it, it was like, what is going on? And the stewardess comes on, and she says, you know, in that lovely stewardess voice, uh, yes, attention, we will get above the clouds, and the, and the calm will come. And it's like, thank you, Jesus. I want some calm. But literally, so we finally get up to blue sky, and the calm comes. And my husband says to me, the Lord told me we were going to go through some rough weather. That's why I could sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, and then the Lord said, it's going to be okay. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> and, you know, Dennis didn't tell me that, but the Lord told me that in the word of God. And when we were singing Psalm 62, I want you to hear this. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. 
And, and then this, the next scripture, 5, 6, and 7, you got to hear this. It's, this is the Lord. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken on God, my salvation, and my glory rest. In God, my salvation, and my glory rest. That was my husband. He was asleep. And I am, I'm afraid. And, and I want you to know, you know, if you haven't gone through hard times, the good news is you will. <laughs> the Lord says it will rain on the just and the unjust. The rain's coming no matter what, folks. But he is our rock. He is our hope. He is our rest. Hang on to Jesus. Well, hey, it's good to be with Sunnyside this morning. Amen. Amen. For those of you, for those of you who were hoping it would be Pastor Matthew, sorry. <laughs> I think I set myself up. <laughs> um, Jill, spot on. And, you know, the crazy thing is I totally knew, as I said, um, I'm going to tell an airplane story. First, Pastor Dennis, I want you to know that years ago, when I was a young warthog, uh, when I was just a young'un, I was uh, in my 20s. I used to fly to Salt Lake City every, every Monday morning, and I would take the 5 a.m. flight on Delta. <clears throat> and I would stay there till Thursday, and then I would fly back. And so I would do that two weeks out of every month. Uh, Kim would take care of our kids during those weeks I was gone, uh, and it was, I mean, it was tough. Caleb, good to see you, brother. Um, anyway, I, uh, I would get on the plane, and I would get to my seat, and I would be asleep before we were taxiing, and I would wake up after we had landed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in Salt Lake City. How did I get here? <laughs> so I just want you to know. That's just good. That's good. But that's not the plain story I was going to tell you. But when she said you were already asleep, I'm like, I absolutely know what that is because that, that was my life. Um, and I would always take the newspaper with me to do the crossword puzzle, and I would get there, and the crossword puzzle would still be sitting on my lap. I'm like, I didn't get a chance to do that. Anyway, um, so two stories. And you, you ended this word, hold on, hold on to Jesus. Hold on. The title of the sermon is Get a Grip. Okay? So uh, I had a friend of mine when I got saved. He's the, he's the guy who led my brother to Christ. His name is Alan Spencer. Alan has gone to be with the Lord. Um, he led my brother to Christ, and uh, a couple of weeks after my brother had gotten saved, I came home one day, and I saw my brother reading the Bible, and I said, what are you doing? And he looked up with me with just piercing eyes and said, I'm reading the Bible. And I saw the word Romans at the top of the page. And that day I read the entire book of Romans and got scared to death because it was talking about me. And then the next day I read 1 Corinthians and got even more scared because it was talking more about me. And then I thought, what is, God? What is this God? He's trying to reach me. Anyway, I gave my heart to Jesus on the third day. And uh, he introduced me to Alan. And Alan had a life group 
that met at his house on Thursday night in Southern California. I started attending Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith, just great Bible teaching. And uh, I went to this Thursday night Bible study, and I got to know Alan and his son and his wife and the family. Alan was a pilot already. He was a young man, but he was a pilot. And he inspired my brother to become a pilot as well. So my brother went through uh, all the flight school and became a pilot, and they bought an airplane together. And so they had a Cessna, a Cessna 172, a 172. And we used to fly all over Southern California. So we'd fly out over Catalina, you know, go 26 miles out over Catalina. And then we'd come back and we'd fly over Anaheim and see Disneyland. We'd see fireworks at night and that kind of thing. It was just a lot of fun. My brother would do crazy things too. Like he'd say, hey, you want to do something fun? I'm like, I mean, sure. And he'd go. I'm like, never do that again. You talk about getting a grip, right? Hold on to something, right? Because this is crazy, right? Uh, so Alan later uh, went on to uh, be a trainer for a large airline, and he was the DC-10 uh, trainer for all the pilots. But he also worked a weekend job where he worked for a, a charter fishing boat, and they would uh, fish marlin. And Alan would fly a small plane at a 1,000-foot level, uh, over the sea, and they would be spotting the fish. And so then they would tell the boat. And uh, on this particular day, um, the single-engine prop plane seized in this position, and they're traveling at about uh, probably 90 miles an hour, 1,000 feet. He was able to get on the radio and said, 26 miles southeast of Catalina Island, Mayday. And uh, put the mic down prepared for a crash landing. And when non-retracting gear airplane hits water, it does cartwheels. On this particular day, he trimmed the plane so that as soon as he got close to the water, he just pulled back on the yoke and the tail hit first and just slapped the plane down and it stopped. By the time they were able to get their seatbelts unbuckled, water was up to their chest. They took one one turn to get out of the door, because you land with your doors open so that the water's in there so you don't have the pressure of trying to open. And they teach all this stuff in flight school. The one thing they don't tell you to do in the manual is to take your sunglasses off, and there's no shoulder harness, and so their heads both hit the dash and split their heads right across, and so they're already bleeding. And they landed in warmer water that particular day, <clears throat> but Alan was losing blood. It is shark-infested water. And uh, his, his buddy had a flight jacket, so you're told to take the flight jacket off, you zip it up, it's airtight, you tie the arms into a knot, and then you hold the ends, and it'll, it'll retain some air so you have some buoyancy in the water. Alan took his blue jeans off, and imagine blue jeans. He's trying to get larger displacement, so every time the you know 12-foot swells would come, he would throw his jeans out over and lay his body as flat as he could so that he would drift up over and not go under. Because the amount of energy, if the wave goes over you to actually surface yourself again, it expends your energy so quickly. Alan prayed. And he said, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going under. Take care of my son. And um, the next swell came. And he went under. But he had enough strength to make it up one more time. And there was a one-gallon milk jug floating in the water. And he grabbed a hold of the milk jug for his very life. 
and it saved his life. When the freighter ship that heard the mayday almost ran over them in the water because they couldn't see them, and someone from the side of the boat said, they're in the water, 15 feet from the side of the boat, and they were rescued, Alan had the milk jug in his hand and wouldn't let go. Hanging on for dear life. Hanging on for dear life. Get a grip. There's a New York City article from 1987. Uh, Jill, your turbulent moment in the clouds, this probably pales in comparison to this next story. Uh, it was September 4th, and uh, in a 15-passenger lawn dart, uh, that's what we used to call the small horizon planes, lawn darts. Uh, anyway, in this 15-passenger Beechcraft 99, uh, a pilot and co-pilot got on the airplane that morning uh, traveling from Lewiston to uh, Boston, and they're going to fly out over the ocean and you know, cross over and go to Boston. And they were only carrying freight on this particular day, and so the pilot, as he took off, everything was secure and sound, and the freight that they had on board was good. Uh, and at about 4,000 feet over the ocean, they heard a noise back in the back. Well, there should be no noise in the back because all they have is freight, so there's no passengers, so there should be nothing happening back there. So he turned the controls over to his co-pilot, and he went back, and the back door that was secure had a rattling sound in it, and so he went to secure the handle, and as he touched the handle, the door swung open and sucked him out. But in a Beechcraft 99, when the door opens, it flips up and a set of stairs drops down. And as the stairs dropped down and he was being sucked out, he grabbed a hold of the rail and it was just a, it was a, a um, cable, if you will. The co-pilot heard the noise because as soon as you, there's no pressure in the cabin at 4,000 feet, but the noise changes when a door is open on an airplane and you're traveling 200 miles an hour. He looked back and he only saw the open door and immediately he thought, well, my friend, the pilot, has been sucked out. He's fallen 4,000 feet into the Atlantic Ocean. And so he made a call and asked for an emergency landing and so he immediately turned the plane back and for the next 10 to 12 minutes, he had no idea what was happening. As he landed the plane, you know, all the fire trucks are coming out and they discovered that the pilot had remained half in the plane and half out of the plane, and the only thing that was holding him fast was his grip on the railing of the staircase that was down. When the plane landed, his face came six inches from hitting the runway, and they couldn't get his fingers off of the railing. The fire department had to come and literally warm his hand up and pry his fingers off. Holding on for dear life. Holding on for dear life. So your story is apropos. The uh, church that was meeting in Thessalonica was fearing for their lives. Genuinely. They thought they had missed the rapture of the church and they were terrified. 
they were terrified because they already knew because of Paul's teaching what was forthcoming. The lawless one, the antichrist, persecution, and the chance that they, not, they might not be making it to heaven because somehow they had missed and what was wrong. And so they were fearing their very lives. And so you would remember, and I don't know, you know, Pastor Matthew's uh, message last week might have been slightly different than my message, but verses 1 through 12 in the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians reminds us that they were legitimately shaken in their mind. Shaken. And so you're reading Psalm 62. Do not be shaken. And the text tells us that they were shaken in their mind and troubled because they believed that they missed it. They were without hope now. And so Paul is reminding them in those first 12 verses, in order for the day of the Lord to come, there's a couple of things that have to happen first. I'm going to teach you, I'm going to tell you the truth so that you can be at ease, you can stabilize your frame of mind. Be calm, as Psalm 62 would say, be at peace. And so he explains that the lawless one has to be revealed and the restrainer is going to be taken away and there's a few things that have to transpire in order for the day of the Lord to have come. And so you get to the end of verse 12 and you, you recognize, I mean, verse 8 reminds us that, hey, Jesus, our captain, our host, the, 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 the king of the universe, he's going to breathe on the Antichrist and he's going to slay him, so to speak. And I mean, the victory is won. It's epic. And yet, it hasn't happened yet, and there's still a little bit of uncertainty. How many times have you known that you've believed something for so long, or you believe something so deeply, that even when someone tells you the truth, it may not quite be enough? You want evidence, you want more, give me more. And so we come to our text this morning, and it's legitimately Paul's next words that he is trying to encourage them further. And so verse 13, we begin and it says, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and you can underline the word therefore, this is, this is the indicativeness of his continuance of trying to encourage them, trying to inspire them, trying to remind them, trying to stabilize their imbalanced disposition. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold. Hold on. Hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or by our letter or epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And so chapter 2 comes to a conclusion. And so these guys are shaken in mind. They are believing something that isn't true. And he is trying to help them 
to get stabilized, to be balanced, to not be shaken, to not be, to fulfill Psalm 62, so to speak. And so the loss of stability and strength as believers in Jesus, we ought not be there. Can someone say amen? How many of us would like to be like the rock of Gibraltar as you go through difficult times in our lives? And so often we lose sight, and they lost sight. And by losing sight, they lost hope. And so he is trying to help them to restore the loss of balance, certainly by teaching them the truth or speaking the truth to them and uh, helping to remove the deceit. Right, And so, which... The deceit was truly the basis for their instability. Um, have you ever fallen prey to seeing with your eyes and it looking hopeless rather than seeing with eyes of faith where God says uh, all things are possible to him who believes? All things are possible to him who believes. And so, and we know that Verse 3 again in the text, and I think, I don't know if I put verse 3 up on the board, but uh, verse 3 teaches um, that, again, the apostasy, the falling away, and the, uh, the, the lawless one must come first. And so <clears throat> when you get to verse 12, again, it says that God sends the strong delusion to make them believe what is false so that they would be condemned who did not believe uh, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so he's just letting them know, you know, the 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 punishment or the penalty is reserved for those that don't believe. You believe. So that's, that's not awaiting you. You actually, there's good that's coming to you. And so we come to, again, our text. And uh, verse 15 is so encouraging to me. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold on. Stand fast and hold on. Why? Because you know the truth. And knowing the truth will set you free. It will liberate even the way you think in the natural mind. So get a grip. Here are some traditions or here are some teachings of Paul that will help. And this, what's amazing to me is these, these six things, these six items, these six truths to hold on to would be like when, when Henry Dempsey got sucked out and he grabbed that cord, that cable, it's a cable railing. It's made up of cords. And you know that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's what the scripture reminds us. But a cord of six strands is less easily broken. Amen? I mean, it's got some strength. And his grip holding onto these cords and each one of those cable cords is like one of these that is worthy to have our grip in, in the midst of our trouble and our trial. Or that milk jug handle that Alan was holding onto with his very life grip because it was his sustaining for the next two hours that kept him afloat. Verses 13 and 14, I'll read them again and we're gonna draw out six truths. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by his spirit and belief in truth. 
to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, these are cords to hold on to, to hold fast. These are truths. Number one, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. I mean, wrap yourself around that. God loves you. Say that with me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves you. God is love, and he loves you. He loves you. Are you ready for this? He loves you in spite of you. <laughs> in fact, there's nothing you can do that will change his love for you. He loves you with an everlasting love, and it is without condition. Number two, you are chosen by God. The scripture says, because God from the beginning chose you. In his foreknowledge, God knows the end from the beginning. And in his foreknowledge, he saw you would be a receiver of the truth. And so he orchestrated, he predestined, he made things plausible for you to come to that place where you would say yes to the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God wooed you and drew you in and you said yes and you thought you chose God but when you passed through the door you looked behind you and it said chosen and you realize wait a minute I thought I was part of this and I got to choose God but you realize that God had chosen you God picked you he picked you Imagine for a moment the value that God placed upon your life. You are so valuable to God that he said, I will come and I will take your penalty and I will die instead of you. That is your value in the eyes of God. You know, I shared when I was praying the Abrahamic covenant, if you will, out of Genesis chapter 15, where he says, uh, I am your exceedingly great reward. That's God speaking to Abraham. He says, I am your reward. Guess what? He sees you as his. I mean, wrap yourself around that for a moment. You talk about an inequity. <laughs> I think he got the short end of the stick. Anybody else? I mean, come on. And yet, he picked you and me because he loves us. Number three, you are saved by God. The scripture, the text says, chose you for salvation, to be saved. And ironically, he's saving you from yourself. He's saving you from what you earn. The wages of sin is death. He's saving you from your own earnings. I mean. Now, I know sometimes we pray for the justice of God, right? 
But when we pray for the justice of God, how many of us would say, well, God, I really want your justice in my life too. I want what I deserve. Anybody want what they deserve? Mm Mm-mm. I'd like to get off that plane. I'd let go of that grip. (laughs) I'd rather fall 4,000 feet into the Atlantic Ocean than get what I deserve. We're saved from ourselves. Jesus died the substitutionary death. The wages that we have earned, he said, I'll take those wages on myself. I'll receive the death penalty. I'll receive the punitive damage of the laws that have been broken by these whom I love, whom I have chosen, these whom I have saved by dying in their place. Praise God. I want you to note, too, these, are, these six chords are all chords that God has done for you and for me. These are the work of God. Without God, we can do nothing. These are what God has done for us. You are loved by God. You are chosen by God. You are saved by God. Hey, here's a good one. You're sanctified by God. You're sanctified. Now, I know that's sort of a religious term. It's a term of faith, and oftentimes we may not fully be able to define what sanctification is. Really, a a way to say it is God by his spirit is working in us to help us become more like Jesus. It's a work of holiness that God is doing in us. And he wants to continue that work until the return of Jesus in us. Amen? He is sanctifying us. He is helping us to become more like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I do know about me. And I know sometimes I resist the work of the Spirit of God in my life. Anybody else in the room do that? Okay, there's about six of us. Great. The rest of you, somebody else should maybe be teaching this way. I don't know, but I'm teasing. Yeah, we do that because we're headstrong. Even when we read the word of God and it points, it's sharper, you know, it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is dividing the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It is the discerner of the motives and the intents of my own heart. And when I read and it cuts like a knife and the spirit of God says, I want to do something more in your life, but this, your sin has separated you from God. It's hindering the work of God in your life. And we're like, I know, okay, but I love my sin. I don't want to let go of that. He says, get a grip on this, not on that. Somebody once said, if you put a hungry donkey in a stall and you put oats 10 feet away on this side and you put hay 10 feet on this side, that the donkey would die in the middle. It's probably not true. But... It wants to do this, but, well, if I take two steps closer to the oats, I'm two steps further away, and I like how, it, what, I go. but I'll be further away from the oats, and it does circles, and it dies of starvation. We have to decide what we're going to grip onto. If oats represents heaven and hay, wood, and stubble re- represents the world, Let go of the grip over here and hold fast over here and go consume 
what God has for us. Anyway, the work of the Spirit, sanctification in your life. So number one, you are loved by God. Number two, you are chosen by God. Number three, you are saved by God. Number four, you are sanctified by God. And the, and the beauty of this too, the text references God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and God our Father. And this verse says sanctification by the Spirit. Another way to say that is by God the Spirit. So you have the work of the Trinity right here in 2 Thessalonians. Also, all three persons of the Trinity are doing a work in you, for you, and through you. Praise God. Number five. You are called by God. He called you by the gospel, is what the text says, to which he called you by our gospel. The gospel, it's the good news. It, it's such good news. Imagine Alan Spencer, that swell going over his head and him barely being able to come up, let alone trying to get his jeans to come up that are saturated with water and he has to try and wring them out so he can throw them out to get that displacement again. And as he comes out of that wave and makes his way to the surface again and he sees a milk gallon jug, I mean at that very moment, it's like God's making provision for me. God has a purpose for me. And this is good news. This is good news. The milk jug was good news. Do you know that the co-pilot, even after he landed the plane, he did not know his friend was hanging on. And when he disengaged from his seatbelt, turned and went back only to see Henry Dempsey holding on for his very life. He took no interviews. The person they interviewed was the fireman who pried his fingers off of the cable because the two guys, all they could do was hold on to each other. They could just hold on to each other. And the one thing that the pilot who had gotten sucked out of the window said the next day, I'm so thankful to see the sun rise one more time. For the co-pilot to see his friend alive. I just, I just let you know, if you fall 4,000 feet from the sky, water is like hitting concrete. People don't live. People don't live. So to him, for 12 minutes, his friend was dead. Just expecting just to hear the report that they found his body because he radioed you know, where he was location-wise and that he had, his, the pilot had gotten sucked out, send, send the Coast Guard. I mean, he, that, that, that was the radio call. So for 12, 10, 12 minutes, he had no idea, no idea. Imagine the good news it was for him to see his buddy. It's no wonder they did not want to be interviewed by anybody because the good news had overwhelmed them. Has your good news that has come from the Lord, the gospel, he's called you and saved you and sanctified you and chosen you and loved you? Is that overwhelming? I mean, it's such good news. Anybody here feel like they deserve the work of God? No, no. And yet he gives. Number six, the sixth cord to hold on to. 
you are, and I put in quotations, to be glorified by God. He said this, he says, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the beauty. Because God has saved us, it glorifies him also because we have the potential to give him glory. When we live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, it is our worship unto the Lord. We are worshiping. He, he is being glorified. But not only that glory, but also when we see him, we will be like him and we will have a glorified body. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know these bodies that we have, these tents, they are subject to corruption, right? I mean, I remember what it was like, you know, looking in the mirror when I was 20, <laughs> looking in the mirror, you know, at 39 again, I mean, 57 again, <laughs> There's some corruption. There's decay going on. There's a little decay. We're subject to the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy has had its work and continues, right? The thing is breaking down. It's gone from order to disorder, and it continues on a regular basis, right? So, but listen, Jesus, when he was resurrected and he saw his disciples, he said, touch, feel, a ghost, a spirit, does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. He had a resurrected body. He showed up in the room when the doors were locked. He was in their midst. He was with a couple of brothers on the road to Emmaus. When he broke bread, their eyes were open. He rec they recognized, this is Jesus, and he vanished. That's a glorified body. And when we see him, we'll be like him. You and I, we have a future. We are heaven bound. Hallelujah. And we're going to have glorified bodies. This carnal, this mortal, this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. We are destined to live for eternity with the Lord. And that is our hope. And this is how he sums it up. Listen to the summation as he's coming to the, just, hey, don't be shaken in mind. Hold on to these things. Because if you hold on to these things, you won't need to be shaken in mind. You'll know. He says this, now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, Jesus is alive. He's resurrected Paul had seen him. Paul had talked with him. Jesus himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Listen. <laughs> Verses 13 and 14. He's loved us, beloved Brothers, beloved by God. He's loved us. He's summing it up. He says, not only has he loved us, he's given us this everlasting consolation. In other words, you're chosen, you're saved, you're sanctified, and you've been called. That is the consolation that is everlasting. It is without fail, and it will be for eternity. Let's go. 
and has given us good hope. In other words, you have a future. You're going to be glorifying God and you're going to be glorified with God with a new body for eternity. So may Jesus himself and God our Father, because of these things, because he's loved us, chosen, saved, sanctified, called, and you're going to be glorified because of these things, comfort your hearts and be established. Stay afloat. Hang on. Get a grip. You got this. Hang in there, baby. Remember the poster? <laughs> Little kitty cat holding onto the rope with one finger, you know, one nail. <laughs> Hang in there, baby. You got this. In other words, don't be easily shaken in your mind. Don't be troubled. Rather, stand fast, hold on, comfort your hearts, be established. Be established in every good word. In every good word. Can I suggest to you that if you and I would become more established in the word of God and knowing the God of the word, we would not easily be shaken in our mind. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No foundation can be laid than the foundation that has already been laid by Christ Jesus himself and Paul who taught us specifically, stand fast on the good word. Stand fast, hold on, be established, firmly rooted in the word of God. And the good news is it will become evidential in your life. Every good work, every good work. Every good gift flows from the Father of lights, and therefore the good works are flowing from God in and through us based on what he has prepared in advance for us. So like Henry Dempsey, the pilot of that airplane, like Alan Spencer, the pilot of another airplane, like Jill Hayes, who got a grip on her husband's leg. <laughs> We need, to get, we need to get a grip on life. We need to get a grip on life. And the life that we need to get a grip on is the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. And stand fast in them. Will you stand with me this morning? Worship team, will you come back? And we're going to sing this song, Come Thou Fount. I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you because I don't necessarily know where you are. You may be going through a trial, a tribulation, a troubling time. It could be a heartache. It could be a hardship. It could just absolutely be something that has rocked your world and you need to know that Jesus has got you. And if you could not see, I mean, even when I was just reviewing my notes in the back and I was reading through a portion of scripture, the very moment I read verse two of chapter two, which was not our text, but I reread chapter two, or, or, uh, verses one through 12, and as I read verse two about being shaken in mind and troubled, they're singing the lyric that we would not be shaken. And I thought, wow. And then I knew God had spoken to me about Jill having a word and for you to read Psalm 62 and tell the story about an airplane and getting a grip on Dennis's leg <laughs> and maybe that stranger that was next to you. I thought, God is orchestrating a message and he is affirming his message because he's speaking to us. So Father, we thank you that you... You know us. And even as Dennis 
shared that moment in generosity, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, it's you and only you, and it is your work and only your work that can bring transformation in our hearts and in our lives. And so today, Lord, right here in our midst, those watching online, our Gladstone campus, our Southeast campus, those who call Hillside home that may not even hear this message today, we are praying, God, for those that are in a place where they're troubled and shaken in mind. And that, God, today would be a day where they would be able to stand fast and hold on to the cords. These six truths, these six truths, I am loved by God. I am chosen by God. I am saved by God. I am sanctified by God. I am called by God. And I am to be glorified by the Lord. To hold fast. To let go of the things of this world that can be distractions and cause fears to arise. Lord, will you cause us to be at peace, comforted, and at ease, to be anxious for nothing because our eyes and our hands are fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Strengthen us, Lord, through and through, and be glorified. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name.